0: Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. All right, good morning. You guys well? Good morning. morning. Thanks, worship team. Well, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that today is the day. We've made it. We're finally here. We have finished uh, the book of Romans. We're finishing up Romans today. Um, So if you guys have a Bible, turn to Romans 13, and uh, we'll get going. So on your phone or in the pew Bible in front of you, Romans 13, what we've been... uh, We've been looking, this, this book of Romans is one of the most uh, uh, theme-rich books of the entire Bible. It is quite um, rich in theology, rich in uh, Paul's heart for, um, not just for Rome, but for the people that he ministered to and uh, the things that he was trying to navigate, issues, the problems of his day. Uh, and what we learned out is that at the beginning, Uh, Of this Roman series was that about eight years, maybe about ten years before Paul's writing this letter, um, the Christians in Rome, most of whom were Jewish, uh, there were some Gentiles there, they all got kicked out of Rome by Caesar, and so all the Jewish Christians had to leave Rome. And some uh, went on to Corinth, and Paul actually became really good friends with a lot of these uh, people that had left Rome, these Jewish Christians, and uh, Paul developed a relationship with uh, in these, and now they're, they've gone back. And these Jewish Christians come into a now Gentile-centered church, very different than what they were used to, and they're freaking out. And the Roman Gentile Christians um, there was a lot of anti-Semitism in Rome, throughout Rome, and uh, so the Gentile Christians were at risk of fe- being elite. They were Romans, of course. You know, Rome is dominating Israel in another part of the world, and so therefore, Rome, we're at this epicenter of greatness, right, within the Gentile world, and so these, this, these two groups of Christians, they're trying to worship God together in one spirit, and Paul is trying to heal these wounds and explain to them that they are now a part of the new family of God. Yes, there are some Jews that were God's chosen people, but when the Messiah came, they didn't recognize him as such, and they're going their own way, and it's something that we talked a few weeks ago, but it grieved Paul's heart to see these Jews turning away from the very Messiah that they had been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years to arrive. Paul says this Jesus is this Messiah, this long-awaited Messiah that has now come and he has fulfilled the promise that that God gave to Abraham. He is the fulfillment of Abraham's promise and that now he comes to bring a new kingdom and a new way of life that man can now be reconciled back to God and be his people, as, as Will was praying earlier, to be his image bearers on the earth. The thrust of Scripture is that mankind is God's image bearing, um, image bearing people on the earth. They, yeah, rocket science on that statement, Dave. I worked all week on that one last sentence. Anyway, so... So, we're coming to the conclusion of this letter. So, we've, I'm not going to re- recap the whole book, but we're coming to the conclusion of this letter. And so, I'm going to reach back. We're, we're really covering 14 through 16, but because the last uh, chapter and a half is a big sign off from Paul, because he knows a ton of people in this church, um, we're going to kind of step back into chapter 13, just to kind of get a sense and a, uh, uh, um, of where Paul is headed in this kind of section, and so we're going to pray because I need him (laughs) really bad this morning. Amen. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the power of your word. God, we thank you that you are a living God, Lord, that sees us, that knows us. Lord, you know right where we're at. Lord, you know if we're close to you or, God, if we're running, but we find ourselves here this morning Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak straight to our heart right where we are. Lord, let us hear the things that we need to hear this morning to be your people in this generation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Romans 13, verse 8. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For if you, you love your neighbor, you will fulfill all the requirements of the law. For the commandments against adultery and murder and stealing and coveting and other any other commandment are all summed up in this one commandment: love your neighbor as yourself. If we just were to go by loving our neighbor, Paul says, that you will get the law right. Because love seeks the best for the other. So if I'm, um, let's say, I'm a husband. And I uh, got a family, and let's say I'm let's say I'm getting depressed, and I say I find myself drinking more and more, and then that drinking I end up start hiding it, and then I end up, I keep hiding it, and I hide more and more, and then that whole activity, if I was to really truly love my wife, I wouldn't even contemplate doing. Why? Because love guides our hearts to say, okay, how, I, how would I want to be treated is how I'm going to treat others. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to take. I'm not going to be a taker. I'm going to be a giver. And he goes on and says, love does no wrong to anyone. So love is the fulfilling of the law. He says another reason for this, we're just going to kind of shoot through this just so we can kind of get a sense of what he's saying. Another reason for right living is that you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up. For the coming of our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So don't live in darkness. Get rid of your evil deeds. Shed them like dirty clothes. Clothe yourselves with the armor of right living as those who live in the light. Man, I love how Paul phrases that. Get on with right living as those who are children of the light. It says we should be decent and true in everything that we do so that everyone can approve of our behavior. Don't participate in wild parties and getting drunk or in adultery or in moral living or in fighting and jealousy, but the, let the Lord Jesus take control of you and don't think of ways to indulge your evil desires. Clothe yourselves. Paul says wake up. Right after I graduated college, I moved to Los Angeles and I was in this graduate school program. Uh, I ended up uh, right off Fraternity Row near USC in a, in a studio townhome with two other guys I did not know from Adam. And um, one of the guys was this kind of soft-spoken guy from Eugene, Oregon. He was really he was a really nice guy, really, really nice guy. And then uh, there was another guy, as a, he was a tight end at a division one um, college and uh, he was six, eight. And, um, so anyway, my bed was uh, in this room and his bed was right in front of me laying the other way. Well, I had the unfortunate habit of the snooze bar. Anybody get into a snooze bar habit? Anybody a snooze, snooze bar addict? Anyway, so I was a snooze bar guy, and um, about a month in, about a month in, they nervously come to me, and they say, man, we've got to have a room meeting, and they were all nervous. They'd never really sat somebody down and said, yo, man, the way you're living your life has got to change. Anyway, so they sat me down, and they said, just that, your way of life, and um, my buddy, who is the football player, he goes, and this football, now again, he's right in front of me, he goes, if you hit that snooze bar more than once, I'm going to hurl this ball <laughs> at your twig and berries, and that's going to wake you up. <laughs> and so I'm like, yes, sir, one snooze the rest of the semester. One snooze is all I needed. That one conversation got my life right. But that snooze bar... Is so addictive that when you start hitting that thing, just snooze, 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 and then what what happens? You wake up in chaos, right? Oh my gosh, I overslept. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I hit that snooze. I fell back asleep. It didn't go back off. Now I'm late. Now I'm rushing. It's a lot like how we live life in our walk with Christ. We hit snooze. We wake up the next day, we hit snooze on our call. We hit snooze on our time with him. We hit snooze on being the people God's made us to be. And we live life. And then when life hits, we freak out. And we start, and chaos ensues. Because we didn't wake up, as Paul is saying, wake up and see that your life actually has eternal significance. Wake up and see that your life actually has meaning. Wake up and see that there's a God who made you that actually has an identity and definition over your life, a purpose, and a calling, and yet we run around this world aimless, numb, distracted, and wondering why God doesn't show up. It's because every morning we sit there knowing where we need to turn but instead, we hit the snooze. We hit the snooze. So this final message that Paul is giving the church in Rome is, wake up. Wake up. Wake up from your slumber. Wake up from Rome. Uh, Jewish, uh, Jewish Christians, wake up. Wake up that the law is not what saves you. Wake up that it's Jesus and having a connection and relationship to him is what saves you. Roman Gentiles, it's not your wild parties. It's not your uh, elite culture. It's about seeing the Messiah, the one who came poor, destitute, and revealed to mankind what God was like wow wake up wake up but then he goes on and in chapters 14 and he's not just wake up but he's like now live to build up so wake up and build up and he goes on in romans 14 you can kind of peruse that this week but basically he brings up two kind of common problems that they were arguing about in the day And these Jewish Christians and these Gentile Christians were arguing over uh, certain foods that you could and couldn't eat and over certain holy days that they had to observe or they didn't care at observing because they saw every day as holy. And so these people are warring within the church. And so I'll explain the situation to kind of sum it up. On one hand, here's a Christian with a strict conscience whose background, upbringing, and temperament all incline him towards a very serious view of his moral responsibilities. As far as he can see, the Christian is surrounded by a very wicked, corrupt, pagan world. The best thing to do is to shun it completely, they think. And if that means not touching meat, usually from the pagan meat market, so be it. He then notices that a woman over here who apparently claims to be a Christian as well, is buying from the market meat which obviously came from the pagan temple. Uh-oh. How appalling. How appalling. Her and her family have deeply compromised. You know people like this? They're, your family is deeply compromised. The only response is condemnation. That's how that person who's been raised up and trained up to honor Our moral responsibility before the Lord, they're looking at people who don't see it the same way and they meet it with condemnation. Or how about the Christian woman? Poor Christian lady. (laughs) Meanwhile, she's been taught the deep and rich truth that the one true God is the creator and redeemer of all things. The whole world belongs to him, including every piece of meat you could buy or cook. She knows perfectly well that outdated regulations about what you can and can't touch, taste, handle, doesn't actually go to the heart of genuine holiness. She's tired of being sniped at and criticized by people who don't seem to have learned what is, for her, one of the most basic and liberating lessons in their Christian life. They seem small-minded to her. Those people seem timid. Those people seem unable to see beyond their own front doors. When she thinks of people like that, she despises them. So on one hand, you got a group condemning the other, and on the other hand, you've got one group despising the other. But both are natural reactions. If you really think about it, if you really put yourself in their shoes... You can kind of say, yeah, that's a natural reaction. Each grows from a firm grasp of one part of of Christian truth. They're holding on to one part, but towering above these truths. These two characters have embraced. There stands a further truth, which needs to be grasped even more firmly and lived out more energetically, that there is one Lord And it is before Him and Him alone that every Christian lives and dies, stands or falls. You will have to give an account of your own life to God Himself. So Paul is saying on these things that are minors, don't major on minors. And people in the church are professionals at that. I mean, we're pretty good at it we're pretty good at professionalizing the minors while ignoring the majors so what mattered was the that whatever decision that you made you made it to honor the lord in everything that you do paul is saying hey if this guy decides to kind of go vegetarian and honor the lord let him go man you don't have to like you know give him gift boxes of bacon you know and sabotage with like a a grub hub of uh, McDonald's to his workplace, or you know, you don't have to like sabotage his way of honoring the Lord. Yet he doesn't, and Paul would say it's not on him to despise people who choose to do something else to honor the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about the big things, obviously. But just these little things that end up creeping up within communities that bring division and bring accusation and bring this denominational spirit that we all have to agree on the exact same thing or we can't be in fellowship. That's not the kingdom message. Paul is saying the exact opposite. You may have differing views, but does that charge require breaking fellowship? Not much does. Didn't expect to go that, but, well, I won't. So Paul is saying, guys, stay focused. Don't just wake up. Build each other up. Live to build one another up. Don't do anything that's going to cause your brother to stumble or hinder them and their growth with God. Let God's kind of love guide you to love others. Don't condemn one another. Stop despising one another. There's no place in the kingdom of God for that. And then he says this in Romans 14, 12. He says, yes, each of us will have to give a personal account to God. So don't condemn each other anymore. Don't condemn each other anymore. Decide rather never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. Wake up, build up. So for the religious Jew, stop condemning these Gentiles that flesh out their walk with Christ a little bit different than you do. Paul is appealing, but for the Gentile, Paul is appealing to people who are happy to eat and drink whatever. It is asking them to recognize that there are occasions where they need to hold back from this freedom for the sake of those whose Christian faith will be irreparably damaged by such behavior. It means thinking through your behavior with people that are, that's not you. (laughs) Everybody else, it's thinking through, how is my behavior going to reflect God? How is it going to reflect the way Jesus lived life? If I'm a follower of Him, I better be following in His footsteps and not making my own decisions, making my own plans, acting how I want to with a Christian label on top to say, yeah, I grew up in church. I know him. Nope. Won't get you past. We have to give a personal account to God for our lives. Not just our behaviors. Not just our thoughts. But even our motives as well. So then he says this. Out of all this kind of controversy over the minor things, Paul wraps up and says in verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and other people will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to what? Build each other up. How much time do you think about building those around you up in a week? How much time, if you were to quantify it, You know, we on average watch about four hours of television. That's the national average. Four hours of television a day. We love our Netflix, don't we? We love our Netflix. Amazon Prime, Hulu, whatever you got. YouTube, TV. How much time do you actually spend thinking about how can I build, as a follower of Jesus, God, how can I build up the lives around me? Part of my job create the glorious church that he is charged us to is that we become people who fight for one another, who fight with one another, who contend for one another, who wrestle with one another, who might offend one another, who are friends with one another, who will do anything that if you call me and if you need something, I'm over there kind of friendship. How much time do we spend actually thinking how we're going to build others up? Or is our mind thinking, who needs to build me up? There's no one around me. Oh man, I wish if I had more people around me, I'd have better community. Man, I'd feel less alone. Yes, that's true. And at some places and times, our bandwidth isn't enough for us to, to actually get out and do things. I get that. But most, most, they don't have that. Most, we have that habit to hit the snooze, to not wake up and not build up. Hit that snooze just another day thinking about me, my life, my worries, my concern, my stressors, my anxiety, my, see? The life of the Christian, the life of a follower of Jesus has nothing to do with that. And it has everything to do with, God, you rescued me. God, I now know you personally as an intimate friend of mine i can feel your presence i know your presence is in me now it is my job to be your image bearer in the earth and build others up how do we build a community is it about reaching the lost as it is about having a thriving community upon which we're bringing them into it's both it's two sides of the same coin How do we get more effective in reaching the lost? It's by having the kind of quality of relationships that is strikingly different than every other human relationship that they may have because they don't know how to live the Christian life, which is, this is a team sport. We can't do it. The reason why we're all in here is we've all recognized at one point in our life that we need Jesus. We can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. You can't either. And so it's us together coming along and saying there's a God that has a dream over this planet and it's His people that He's elected to execute that dream. I'll keep going. One last final piece of meat in this letter. Paul quotes passage after passage in 15, chapter 15. Passage after passage of the Old Testament to show and demonstrate that God always intended To bring the nations of the world into equal fellowship with His chosen people Israel. God fulfilled this promise to Abraham through Jesus Christ. Reconciling all people everywhere back to God. He established His kingdom. He's Lord over the whole earth. The door of heaven has been opened. Not so much that we go there, but that we bring it here. Being His image bearers. Living out God's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Wow! Paul is saying, the plan has succeeded. Jesus has won. And it's not that he saw the the win in the reality around him. He knew that the seed of the gospel would begin to transform the entire world. That the good news, that is for everyone... Not just an ethnic elite, but for everyone on the planet, this good news can set everyone free and see them all come back to know God. And he says this, this is the last verse, and then we'll end. Romans 15, 13. One of my favorite verses. If you're into the Enneagram, I'm a seven, so I'm I'm an optimist. So that's how I see things. But I love this verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. May the God of all hope overflow in your life for you to have peace and joy as you trust in Him. And it all comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, it's this amazing verse. I want you to imagine if you were to speak this verse over your life. Now may the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What would your life look like for like overflow with hope? Hope, I got time, hope is the confident expectation that God is going to pull through. That's biblical hope. It's the confident expectation that God is going to pull through. It's the scene of kids that are waking up on Christmas morning and they're just getting the sleep out of their eyes and they're now up and they're seeing like, my gosh, Santa's come! Have you ever seen kids wake up when like Santa's like prime time? Like five, six? He's come! And then they run. That look of expectation on a kid is the perfect demonstration of what hope looks like in the Christian realm. It's that I am expecting God to do something great in my life through my life, around my life that's going to change the world. Amen? All right, so we're going to do something fun. Let's all stand. And we're going to... We're going to this is a little uh, scripture exercise. I want to kind of uh, expand your, your territory here a little bit. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this verse and I want us to read it out loud. I've kind of modified it for our purposes, but I want you yourself... And you're going to see a difference. I read this over you, but now you're going to speak this over you. Okay? It's going to be different. All right. There we go. Let's read this together. Ready? Go. May the God of hope fill me with joy and peace as I trust in him, so that I may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on. Let God take control of your imagination. Let him begin to paint pictures and images of his design over your life, your calling over your life, his uh, his, uh, identity over your life. But I also want God to take control of our imagination when we start thinking about our families, when we start thinking about our loved ones, when we start thinking about the homes in which we spend a lot of our time in, that God would come in and take over. And I want us to speak this same verse Uh, maybe go to the proper one yeah and I want us to uh, speak this over our family and loved ones okay now this is this is kind of cool thing to do because you can do this with any kind of scripture that pops out you're like not just for me baby I'm gonna proclaim it over my family let's go (laughs) may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Imagine our families. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, now we're going to get in a little flow here. How about work? How about where you spend the majority of your week? Uh, there's, there's difficult people there. There's, there's people there. You, you might be comfortable. There might be a little bit of rut. But I want us to this morning to proclaim that the God of hope would invade your place of work. Come on. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, one last one. How about over our city? How about over Kansas City? May the God of all hope fill this city with peace and joy. Amen, let's say it. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope, Kansas City, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a great way, not just when we're reading Scripture, to apply it to our life, but let God, part of, of, this is my big sign-off, then we're going to pray. Part of the role a Jesus follower has is that they begin taking responsibility for the lives around them. A social club doesn't do that. The kingdom of God does. That I'm going to take on, hey, God put this guy in my life. I'm going to take on the responsibility. It's my job to encourage them. I'm going to pretend that no one else is doing that. I'll tell you, it will literally transform not just a community, but a city if a group of people live like that. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Vlad, thank you, God, for the power of your word, and I pray that the God of hope God, would fill us with joy and peace this week as we are your church. Lord, let us be your church. Let us be your image bearers in this generation and this week in our family and with our loved ones at work and in this city. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org, and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.